is up, everybody? Coming at you live from Voorhees, New Jersey, the Tapehead Massacre Podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Caleb. And if you know, you fucking know, we're about to get into it. Arguably, one of, if not the, greatest horror franchise of all time. 1978, John Carpenter, Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, Halloween. Oh, yeah. And we're coming fresh off the watch. Yes, fresh. Very fresh off the watch. On VHS, by the way, which, me personally, first time. Seen it on DVD. Blu-ray, probably. Probably VOD. Probably VOD, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, POD. Here comes the boom. We are, we are. Here comes the boom. Also, seen it. Hey, wife. Seen it in, uh, well... You know, AMC. I'm pretty sure AMC plays this movie every October. I think th- at least 31 times yeah. for the amount of days that are in October. Constant play. Although, weirdly enough, AMC seems to play a Halloween 4 and 5. From my knowledge, anyway. More often than they play the OG Halloween. Or Halloween 2. And then Halloween 3 just kind of gets tossed in there. Like, ah, fuck it, we gotta fill some time. Yeah. Season of the Witch, let's just toss her, let's just toss her in there, dude. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I'm around for it though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you know I enjoy that. Oh my god, yeah, of course, of course. Well, you know, you know how we usually start this thing, man. You know, before we get into into the cinematography, into the nitty gritty, into the nitty gritty, dirty details. How do you want to start this one today, dude? I don't know. We did. We usually do the music. We did guilty pleasures last week. You know, there's got to be another one, right? Yeah. I'm thinking. That this week we can start her off. Well, you know, let's 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 give uh, let's give our music picks, and then we'll get into a little something something. All right, I like it. I like so, it. Let, uh, you go up, you go up first. What uh, what you been listening to I'm this up, week? I'm up to bat. All right, I'm up to bat. Well, fuck, man, I don't know. I feel like I'm always like I'm in a rhythm. I'm in a rhythm. When I'm in the pocket from like the first podcast when we came back again after six months. I've still been on that same wavelength. Yeah, it's been higher too. power. It's been turnstile. It's always 311. That doesn't go away, I don't think, for me, no. personally. You know, it just doesn't. There's just too much there, man. Too much nostalgia. Um, you know, other than that, let me look at my Spotify real quick. That's always a good move. That usually tells me where I'm at yeah, in my life. Yeah, it kind of gets you like, hey, this is actually what I've been listening to. Yeah. Oh, the story so far, I kind of went back to the whole perp prunk phase of my life of uh, early 20s, late teens. You know, just mad at the world. Yeah. Mad at women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking story so far. I've been going through the Undersoil and Dirt, What You Don't See records. Okay. Because they're good. Yeah. On yeah, so many different levels. Great records. Yeah. It's not just pop punk. It's a little bit of hardcore, aka also lyrics with Mad at My Girlfriend. You know. Yeah. That's There's a lot of that going a on. A lot of that going on. A lot of that going on. But quite honestly, other than that, man, I mean, I think, uh, well, thanks to Fox, roommate Fox, Polyphia. I've been into them. I've been listening to them nonstop. I don't know if it's just okay. the instrumental, and I'm not usually listening to that stuff, but it creates a good soundtrack, especially when you're driving. It's you know? always cool listening to instrumental bands because you have the element of no lyrics, no vocals at all. So the True. music has to tell a story yeah. for the most part. It does. It does. And I'll also say uh, Hum. I've been listening to uh, Hum again. That new record is great. The new record's great. The other thing about Hum is I kind of just come back to them every once in a while, you know? Yeah. I don't know what it is. They kind of like, 
when you listen to me, like, fuck, that's good. And then I lose it for like three months and then I come back around again. Yeah. That's usually home for me. And Green to Me, specifically that song I've been playing on repeat. Dude, yeah, that's a good one. But in my musical world, in my catalog, that's really what's been going that's on. That's a wrap. Man. Yeah, what about you, dude? What about uh, you? So uh, the new Drug Church song that just came out, Tawny, is really good. Uh, so they already had Bliss out. out. Um, the song is called Bliss Out. Uh, that's been out for a little while now. That's really good. I got into uh, a guy named Perry Frank. He does like um, atmospheric stuff. We were watching a video of him earlier. That's right. Um, and then uh, the new Cannibal Corpse record is actually really, really fucking good. Really? Yeah, it's like super, super aggressive. Uh, it's not... I, I could I, I'll say that it's not like their older stuff because it, it's actually like it's it I don't know it just drives harder and is not as boring um True. but it's definitely is definitely super heavy uh signs of the swarm uh the new the newest Foles record is really good actually um you were showing me a bit of that yeah I was revisiting some old uh annotations of an autopsy um there you go yeah it's some good stuff but uh and yeah that's that's been my weekly of listenings uh a lot of honestly it hasn't been much music aside from what i just listened there or listed there it's it's been uh it's been a lot of podcasts i've been listening to a yeah, lot of podcasts this same week. I'm, I'm i'm with you man yeah I, I get into those phases and it's been i kind of mentioned i don't know if i mentioned on the last episode or the episode before but uh tiger belly ymh have been kind of i also got tiktok in the last two days i'm caught up with the world now Welcome. i'm not yeah, thanks, man. I'm not completely off-grid anymore. If you know me, you know that I don't have a true Facebook, a true Twitter, a true Instagram. I got It's pretty nice, you know? Yeah. You know, I kind of like when I meet, when I see people, I kind of don't know what's going on in their life. And I feel like that's a 19, like, it's like a late 90s, early 2000s thing when you run into people. You're like, You're like oh, what's been going on? Yeah, let's actually talk about it. Yeah, let's catch up because I have no fucking idea what's been posted because I don't have anything. Like, oh, you're married and have kids now? Fuck. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of like a fucking mind bender, honestly. Yeah. You know, thanks to for sure. Thanks to my wife, Kate. She's yeah. the one keeping me on the up and up. Otherwise, yeah. I have no fucking idea what's going on. But yeah, right. I've got TikTok. That was pretty cool. I'm trying to work my algorithm through right now. It's yeah. kind of tough. It's important. It is important. I figured out how to like and follow people to help my algorithm. Apparently, I was like a fucking boomer. Ah, uh, it's okay. For the first couple days, but I'm working through it, dude. I'm We're working through there. it. Yeah, but nope. yeah, so uh, for me, the podcasts have been uh, the usual. Um, bad taste video. Yeah. Ghoul on Ghoul. Neon Brainiacs, Dead Meat, Nightmare on Film Street. Yep, it's yep. been uh, it's been kind of like the rotation lately. Yeah, shout out to the uh, last episode of Bad Taste with Salem's Lot because I think they hit on a key point of that movie or TV or series or whatever. First of all, Toby Hooper, honestly, my favorite of anything he's done. I know that's like a wild take, but well, I think, I'll tell you, it's a lot fucking better than The Mangler with fucking Robert Englund. Holy uh, shit, that's a garbage e- fucking horrible. film. Or Jesus. what's the one we saw at uh, Camp Blood? Oh, the Funhouse. Yeah, fucking. I don't even know. That movie lulled me to sleep. It it was uh it was it was definitely a long watch. I can see the craze behind it, but it uh eh, it wasn't for me. No, it didn't do it for me either, dude. Didn't yeah. do it for me either. But Salem's Lot, great. I'm gonna call it a film because I think that's really what it is to its to its core. It's three hours. It's it's a long. It's like a Lord of the Rings watch, except it's vampires. Yeah. You know. And then I'm just gonna shout my fun fact out, even though I did it. But you know, you know me, and I like my fun facts, man. Human Snapple Cat. But the, if you've ever seen it, listeners out there, who's ever listening, you know, all, well, you know, you'll, you'll listen on Tuesday, right? Yes. At, what were we, 5 a.m., 8 a.m.? 6, 5, 7. 6, 5, it doesn't matter what time. Morning. Tuesday morning. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Hello. 
Yeah, wake up, beautiful. Um, Gravedigger, or not the Gravedigger, he's the, he's the groundskeeper. Groundskeeper. At the, at, the, uh, at the grave site. Gets bitten by the vampire. He is the real, actual father of Juliette Lewis from Natural Born Killers and other movies that I can't think of right now other than Natural Born Killers. That's okay. But that's my fun fact about Sounds Lot. Great fucking movie. If you've never seen it, go watch it. Take three hours of your life. You know, if you got off, take the Lord's Day tomorrow. Well, you know, at this time when you hear it Tuesday, take take hump take day. Wednesday. T- yeah. Take hump day. You know, get Call three hours in. Call out of work. Fuck it. You don't need to work. You don't need a job. Yeah. Who needs a job, dude? Go watch Sounds Lot. It's three yeah. hours. It's great. It's a great view. Great so, time. Yeah, shout out to Bad Taste for that one. Good, yeah, for uh, real. Great review. Yeah. I uh it was a it was a it was a great listen. It was. So it was. Thank that, you for that. Uh yeah, so that's the the listening segment. Yeah, man. And now it's Halloween time. It's uh it's it's uh, you know what? I'm gonna let's get this out of the way as well before we get into the, the real dirt. Yeah. The we dirt did McGirt. the uh so obviously today oh, when yeah. we record this, it's uh it's Saturday. We did the Tormentor giveaway. We did. So congratulations to Cortez the collector. Cortez the collector. Congrats, yeah, so <laughs> congratulations on your first, as he tells us, yeah. wizard video box in your collection now. We're yeah. stoked to be able to provide that to you. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, welcome to the uh, welcome to the world of wizard. Hell yeah. Also, I gotta say, for as much of our subject matter is not very wholesome, it's a very wholesome thing. I like what we're doing here. Yes. Yeah, so, these monthly giveaways. Yes, and we're gonna do a monthly giveaway. Yeah, not bi-monthly. No, monthly. Every every goddamn days. month. Every thirty days, or don't maybe thirty-one us. or twenty-eight or. Yeah, it depends if there's a leap year. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Maybe. That's that's we got February to come. That's all next year. Yeah, so that's we'll twenty twenty-two. We'll, we'll be announcing the giveaway for next month. Uh soon so that way there's a more of a window for you to enter yeah a little bit of a anticipation if you will yes yeah when we get the juices flowing this on that. was uh like a week and out a week out in advance so. yeah which you know as much engagement as we got off of it i think it, it only makes sense to do it every month yeah so thank you honestly. to everybody that entered yeah big time big time that was very fucking cool very yeah. cool and uh don't worry this isn't going to be the last you'll hear from us for the giveaways um we want to give back uh you know in the tape world you know a lot of people you know, I feel like we're very lucky in the sense of where we live, there's a lot of thrift stores, a lot of Big thrift time. stores. So there's a lot of potential for us to gain tapes very easy and at a very low price. For sure. Um, which then helps us to be able to give these tapes away and, uh, you know, kind of give back, you know? So it's it's cool, as cheesy and cliche as it might sound, Definitely super cool, super exciting, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely be announcing the next one very soon. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm stoked for it too, man. Like I said, it's a it's a cool thing to give back in a in a community that's pretty tight knit, and I think uh, you know it's bigger than I think too, for that matter. At the same time, tight knit, yep. but bigger than you think. Yep. Um, but no, guys, on a on a on a different transition. Um, you know, greatest horror movie of all time, in my fucking opinion. You know, I'm just gonna state that right here. Tyler right now. loves it. I'm really, I really back this movie. And don't get me wrong, I do too. Yeah, so it's okay. I'm, I'm just very passionate about this movie. Also, I'm going to say this because I know if somebody listens, to this going to be like this motherfucker. As hard as I back it, I definitely have some like brown spots in terms of like the dialogue and like step by step of the movie, especially in the beginning. I do. There are some things I probably will forget, so don't don't beat up on me too much. 
but yeah. just know that I love it still. Well, it doesn't we, matter. We're, we're coming fresh off the watch, yeah. So and I also have ADD. Yeah. So you know, we, leave me alone. We, we we were you know conversing throughout the movie, so it's okay. But uh, yeah, let's dive right into it. Halloween, 1978. John Carpenter. Oof. So good, dude. First of all, opening scene as we talked about SOV. Just right in your face. Yeah. You know? And I think the awesome part about it is it, it kind of it moves with the body of a young, a prepubescent Michael Myers. Yeah. Coming into the house. And much like the movie does throughout, you know, he's he's very calculated. I will say this about how he approaches his kills. He doesn't like go straight into the door full aggressor, fucking boots it down. You know, he's he kinda he he does like a, a three sixty scope of the entire environment in which he's walking into. Because as you see in the opening scene, you know, it opens up with the front of the house and where he ends up, you know, his family lives and where he lives as well as the son. But he starts to walk around the house. And the first thing he goes to is the window, right? With his sister and lover. I don't even think he has a name, does he? He probably does. He's he credited does. as something, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like probably like John or Some Frank. 70s generic white dude name. oh yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent but barry barry yeah barry exactly but um yeah because his sister what is it judith right yep judith yep you know he comes in right he does his little he does his little walk around he does his you know he takes him through the house of of a young michael myers and then you know obviously sees what her and her boyfriend are doing barry the boyfriend comes up to the room of judith and that's when the first kill happened, man. It doesn't really take long. Maybe five minutes into the movie, probably. Yeah, and it's a first-person shot, you know. First-person shot, yeah. And it's got, he's got, like, the, the the mask on, which you can't tell what it is at first until you see yep. when the police arrive and they were, take that off of his head. It's, that's true, because as soon as you see, you see, like, the shadow, the lighting shows that it's clearly through some sort of mask. Yeah. You get that vibe. Yep. But what I think is creepy, and we talked about it while we were watching it, of the kill is that his sister is like, you know, bare-breasted B&B, yeah. dude. Which is, it's a, it's creepy on a whole nother level. Not only are you killing your own blood, right? But, you know, she's vulnerable and in the nude. Yeah, and then we talked about it as it happens later on in the film. Throughout most of the film, a lot of the kills that are women, yeah. which I believe is all but one in this. Yeah, other than um, old Bob. Bob. Yeah. Good old Bob. All the women are almost in, like they're almost scantily naked. clad. Yeah, they're yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're That's very the they're very uh, close to being naked, if not. Yeah. Which I'm sure was probably intentional on John Copper John John Carpenter's Aww. part. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a sense of vulnerability whenever you're, you know, not fully clothed. Very much so. Know? But especially if someone's running up in on you, you know, ready to kill and ready to take uh, you know, take action. But you know, that's uh, that's the first glimpse into a young Michael Myers' life. There's no real intent behind why he's doing what he's doing. But I think a couple things to note in that, you know, opening 10, 15 minutes is that when, yes, the, the police are called, they do arrive, and they rip off the clown mask. Number one, I think it's interesting with Michael Myers. He never, he never truly kills without a mask on. Yeah. His mask will get ripped off during kills, whether it's the first film or you know, the many sequels to follow, but I, there, 
There's that, and then when he, they take off the mask, he almost looks horrified as a child. If you actually look at that before it pans out to like almost that bird's eye view scene, he almost looks scared or yeah. horrified at the at the act in which he's completed, right? Yeah. So there's that, and there's the mask. So there's some human quality in him, which we'll kind of dive into with how Loomis portrays him. There's like an in. They always go with the inhuman quality, but there is a human quality to him, right? With that look, with the fact that he has a mask on, so it's almost like he's separating himself from the kill. Like, it's not like you can see my face, eyes to eyes, you know, my whole structure while I'm fucking murdering you. There's a mask there. So there's some sort of, I don't know, divide, I guess, between what he's doing and, you know, how he actually clothes himself Yeah. to some degree. Now, obviously... He's dressed as a clown. It's Halloween, right? So that's part of it. But I think there might be something else there that kind of brings a, a human quality to it. He's not like full bore, inhuman robot. I just kill and I feel nothing. I think the mask portrays some sort of human emotional quality to him too. Yeah. Along with his horrified face. But, you know, that's like a whole psychology bit that I'm not smart enough or read up on enough to even dive not qualified. into. Not qualified to talk about. But... I think it's an interesting thing, right? An interesting little note to the film. And then it goes, what, 10 years later, roughly? A decade later? I think it's, yeah, yeah. Something like that. I might be fucking up the timeline here, but that's okay. That's not really important. But then it gets to a a young, in her prime, Jamie Lee Curtis. But I still can't think of her as... Hold up. Yeah. You're missing one of the cooler scenes. Am I? Yeah. Oh, true. It doesn't even start with Loomis mm-hmm. and the nurse. That's right. So, yeah, back up a second. I'm getting ahead here. Yeah, Loomis and the nurse in the car driving up. I think it's a windy hill. Mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. It's not well lit. Granted, we did see it on VHS, so lighting's a little different than like a remastered version 10, 20, 30 years later. But, you know, they're driving up to the mental facility and... There is some cool dialogue between Loomis I and the nurse. I was saying while we were watching it that it was it was very genuine and the acting yeah. between the nurse and Loomis was very natural. Very. Like it, the conversation they were having would be a conversation that would be had if that makes sense. No, 100%. It's not it doesn't feel like you were watching a movie. It just feels like you had like, you know, a POV shot of you watching two people talk. Which yep. was had like a a very high, at least in my eyes, a, a very high level of like, like, you know, uh, authenticity. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think that's one thing that, for me anyway, makes this film so watchable all the time. Is the acting is just, in terms of the horror genre, it's second to none, quite a bit. And anytime Donald Pleasance is in it, I think you can clearly make that statement. I'm not sure if he won an Oscar. I'll have to IMD be him, but I'm pretty sure he did win some awards. You know, in his younger years, for different movies oh, that yeah, he was in. Oh yeah, because he was definitely a very like, uh, uh, I guess you would say prestigious. You know. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And but I think to your to your point exactly, like the nurse almost acts like she's she's there to do a job. Yeah. Like that's what it is, and you know, Loomis obviously his no pun intended his words loom large over the film, right? And how he describes 
you know, how to like handle Michael Myers once they get to him. Like they shoot him with, I think he even says like shoot him with like Thorazine or something. Oh yeah. And the nurse is like, that's going to make him like, that's going to put him out. He won't even be able to like move. And he's like, that's the idea or something to that effect. But it's like, you understand kind of right off the bat in that dialogue that Loomis has clearly knows Michael well, given that it's 10, 15, 20 years later, what have you. And then he understands how to handle him. Right. There's, you can tell just by his demeanor, by the way he says things, even in like the the throatiness of his voice, like yeah. he's been through some shit. Oh, yeah. Right. And I think that's what kind of like weighs heavy over much of the film and much of the dialogue of the film. So you're kind of like, all right, this guy knows something like clearly we're not dealing with some just regular child serial killer or child murderer. Right. right? That you watch documentaries or read about now. Um, and then you know as they the dialogue continues they come up to the facility and one of the first things that they see are all of the you know patients patients I almost said inmates like it's a prison which you know for the 70s in psych wards that was kind of a thing actually back in the day like you know you read up on how poorly the upkeep was oh the upkeep was and how the individuals and patients were treated but neither here nor there but you see them wandering around the fields yep and kind of almost mindless, which I think is creepy too, because it's number one, it's not well lit. And I think that's something John Carpenter, Deborah Hill as a producer, they do very well with the lighting in this movie. Oh, yeah. That, that's like one of my favorite things about this, about this film, but about the entire franchise. But I think the first film does it the best is that the lighting is always, you can't always make out everything. Not, not everything's apparent to you, right? And a lot of it's filmed during the nighttime, which I think is intentional too, but you know, with those cast of characters of patients kind of just trickling around. You can't really see their face. You can't really make out who they are, but, like, their their bodies are all kind of just, like, they're, they almost seem like they're tripped out on some heavy medication just walking around. Yeah. But that's when you know shit hits the fan, right? And you're like, all right, something's not right. And then Loomis gets out, tells the nurse, wait back here, I'm going to check everything out. And then really enters adult Michael. This is the first time... You get any glimpse of adult Michael, which it's almost a fucking crotch shot, if you think about it, because he runs up the back of the car, and then that, in what I think also looms heavy over the film, which we talked about while watching it, is the soundtrack, the score. Oh, yeah. Right? That synthesizer, man. If that wasn't a part of the film, the film would not be as good as it is. Yeah. Honestly, because there's not... In the grand scheme of the first Halloween, there isn't a ton of dialogue, really. I mean, right. there is, but there isn't. Like, there's not a lot being said quite a bit of the time. I think Donald Pleasance has the most memorable lines to some degree, but the rest of the cast of characters don't really say too much. They're just kind of teenagers being teenagers, horny, homecomings the next night. They're all jazzed up about that. But otherwise, there's not a ton of, of dialogue, really, yeah. that's worth noting i suppose to yeah some i mean there's to me even just coming off the watch for this you know um i, I can't really pinpoint a lot of other lines except then f- coming up we see you know there's you know michael steals this nurse's car yeah yep because then yeah because he he jumps over the car grabs her head through the window through her driver's side window uh, which I thought the little snafu that we saw, uh, I thought was funny, is that when he tries to grab her and, like, tries to rip her fucking head off or, like, thumb her through the eyes, which I think is a kill in the fourth one, in the ambulance. Oh, yeah, the gouging of the yeah, eyes. Yeah, he gouges the eyes and smashes the dude's head in. 
you know, before Loomis comes and finds all the dead, the ambulance in some like ravine. Yeah. Right? But, you know, he basically scares the shit out of her, races her out of the car, takes the car and jets off. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, a very cool scene all in all. And, and one of the few instances in the Michael Myers and the Halloween franchise where he doesn't like kill somebody right off the bat like he's not there to just kill like he has a motive there he's like i need this fucking car yeah he's like the gta is like excuse me i need this <laughs> <laughs> he just jets off yeah. but um yeah and then you know i'm pretty sure if i'm not mistaken as far as transitions are concerned that's when it takes you to jamie lee curtis right right after a day of high school i believe yeah uh, it's home. her with tommy her and tommy little fucking tommy little, little spaceman who tommy. eventually becomes paul rudd Yes, a young Paul Rudd who doesn't look anything like Paul Rudd because it's not Paul Rudd. It's but not we know Paul it Rudd. to be Paul Rudd in the Return. Yeah. Of Michael Myers. Or is it the or is Revenge? It, I think it's the Revenge. Revenge or Return. Either one. No, Returns for Revenge is that one. Yeah. I think six or whatever. That's that like forgotten early '90s one with yeah, Paul Rudd in the Paul flannel. Rudd. Yeah, with Paul Rudd, and yeah. you're like, that's his first film, which this, is wild. Yeah. The fuck. Now I'll be honest. Speaking of the dialogue with uh, with Jamie at that point as she's walking. You know, down the neighborhood of Haddonfield, Illinois. Quite honestly, I don't remember much from that interaction yeah. with Tommy and then with not Linda. Um, although Linda, I think, comes in. Yes. But the uh, the brunette. Why I always forget her name. Uh, we have the one who always yells for Lindsay. Uh, Annie. Annie. That's it. Annie? It's Annie. It's Annie. Yep. Yeah, it's Annie. Annie. It's Annie. Yep. And she's there, and she's talking about... I think she's still talk. I think she pretty much talks about Homecoming for most of it, quite honestly. Yeah, it's Annie. It, it definitely is Annie. Yep. Yeah, okay. The brunette. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep, the brunette. Or black hair, you know, not necessarily brunette, but... Um, yeah, no, they're talking, and I think what the first film does really, really well with Michael is that he kind of just appears like a stalker, because that's really what he is, I think, at his core with Jamie, because Jamie is... I think the sister and or cousin of Michael in this film. Yeah, I believe. Um, there, well, there's she's bloodline. No, there's no relation that's pinpointed in the first one. Yeah, you, unless it is, and I just missed the dialogue piece. But you know, she's blood, right? Yeah. And he has this thing where he needs to kill all his family. Yeah, which I don't think they really get into until the Rob Zombie films, right? That really paints the true backstory of what it well, is. Well, Laurie Strode. She's in uh, H2O. Yep. Jamie Lee. Right. Uh, she's in H2O. She's in the second one, right? Mm-hmm. She is. I don't think she's in any other ones. No, she's not in the third, the fourth, the fifth. Not in the Revenge. But she doesn't come back till O2, which is H2O. Yeah. And then she kind of goes I away think, for a little. I think in Revenge with Paul Rudd, I think there is talk of, like, the crazy aunt, which is Laurie yep. Strode. Yep. And Paul Rudd playing Tommy obviously was babysat by Laurie Strode. Right. So there was definitely talk about her. I think there's a pinpoint in the relationship between Michael and Laurie there somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I know in the first one, that I, I'm pretty much positive yeah. there's no correlation between the two. Yeah, no, no. There doesn't seem to be. There you doesn't just, seem to be a correlation to why he tries to fucking kill his family. He just yeah. really doesn't like his well, family. The first one, he's just a fucking madman. 
Yeah, yeah, but it's all about bloodline for him at that yeah. point. And Laurie Shred's part of the bloodline, so that's kind of where we see that attack piece come in. Yeah. Um, but I think what the movie does between the score of the film and really leading up to that same night when Annie's at the one house babysitting Lindsay, Laurie Strode is babysitting Tommy. Really, a lot of it's just tension setting up for that big final 20 to 30 minutes of the film, yeah. the back end. Because if you watch a lot of it, it's mostly dialogue. It's Michael sort of in the background, not necessarily in the foreground, just stalking his prey. Yeah. Like he's just kind of figuring out where they're going, what they're doing, who the friends are, who to attack. He's very well thought out for yeah. a killer. He doesn't have any dialogue, no facial expressions clearly because he's got the Shatner mask on. You right. Know, you can't really see him. But he kind of just hangs in the background of the film for probably a good hour, quite honestly. Yeah. And then you have uh, the, I think the first present day kill is Annie in the car, if I'm not mistaken. It is. So, you know, fast forward a bit, right, to obviously a lot of dialogue. Loomis, I think Loomis does a good job setting it up as well, you know, before we get into that. Um, you know, other than Michael just sort of stalking his prey and really the prey around Laurie Strode being the main target of prey. I think Loomis does a good job setting up the police, you know, to let them know, like, hey, this isn't just your average killer, right? Like, not that a killer's average, but, you know, he has an inhuman quality to him. Yeah. We don't really see what's inhuman about him just yet, right? Other than the coveralls and the, the Shatner mask that he's rocking. Which is odd for the time. Oh, uh, yeah. 100%. In terms of cinema, not in terms of, like, the actual timepiece and people wearing coveralls. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's well, like a mask in daylight, you know, it's not really normal. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not normal, but... You know, the coveralls, that's like your average mechanic, man. Right. You know, that's just fucking Joe Bob down the street. Who he does kill. And he does do, kill. You do see the dead body. Yeah. So, and to some degree, maybe I'm not giving... I think I'm giving him enough credit to some degree. But, I mean, there is some strategy behind what Michael's doing. He gets the car. He fucks up the nurse. Yep. You know, Ditches the car. Ditches the car, too. So they don't really... No, he doesn't. Oh, he kills, he kills the, I'm sorry, he kills the mechanic just for the clothes. Yep. He leaves the mechanic's car, and then he just continues, yep. or the mechanic's truck, rather, and then he, he stays in the uh, the station wagon. Yep, exactly. No, because that's how he creeps on Lori yep. quite a in bit the of the time, wagon. as they're yep. walking around Haddonfield. Yeah, he, so he's a methodical killer. Yeah. I mean, he has all the signs of a serial killer. Like, he's, this plotting this, this is first degree all the way. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no to it. Premeditated, for but, sure. Oh, premeditated, absolutely. But, you know, for somebody who doesn't speak and have dialogue and isn't the forefront of the movie all the time, he's always lurking in the back, but he always has some sort of strategy in what he's doing, you know, between all of those kills. Yeah, he's got the car, he's got the vehicle, he's got a means of transportation, which we talked about when watching it. When he took the car from the nurse, they're like, damn, 78, man, they're fucking walking. Yeah. Wherever they're going, they're going to have a long walk yeah. to get to Haddonfield. Yeah, because, yeah, for sure. Because Loomis knows where he's going. Right. Because Loomis knows Michael. Yeah, no no, uh, no cell phones then, so no, they were walking it. Yeah, unless they called a bus station. A payphone or something. Yeah, or a payphone, right. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that'd be it, if they're lucky. Which I guess you do see Loomis walk and find the car. I don't know if they were in a vehicle of their own by that point, when they find the mechanic's truck. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you guys. <laughs> 
we talked through a lot of this rewatch. We did. We did watch. We or we did talk through a lot of this rewatch. Classic case of overconfidence, you guys. We were like, we know this movie in and out. Yeah. Even though it's been like six years since I've seen it, but that's you know, okay. We saw what we needed to see. We 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 saw everything we needed to see, guys. We're gonna take you through it. It's a great film. It is. A, it's great. <laughs> Trust us. It's a great film. It's yeah, a great if, film. If you, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's. Uh, pretty crazy that you haven't to begin with i mean yeah if you're, if you're seeking us out to to listen to us talk about horror movies and you haven't seen the original halloween um that's crazy it's crazy but i think it would also be a very exciting thing for you to watch uh, i mean if you haven't seen it please let us know and be like this is my first watch thanks to y'all yeah i don't think we'll get that message but if we do hey yeah fuck yeah but like you guys probably confused me more than you did anything yeah our timeline's out of fucking whack here yeah but um you know we're kind of jumping all over the place but the, the point is is that leading up to that really final 30 minutes yes loomis sets the stage that michael is not just michael he's he's a other human to his point when he's talking to the to the police chief as the police chief's like what are you what are you talking about loomis you're just a crazy doctor psychologist he's like what's with this michael he's like you know i'm, I'm calling off the dogs he's like you know you you guide me around you're taking me all over town like what's up with this guy and i think even i think loomis talks about it where you know i've been with him for over 15 years he kind of segments it in like eight years and seven years but you know when i saw those eyes they're not regular human eyes they're the devil's eyes yeah. They're black, pitch yeah. black, which... Nothing. Nothing, nothing. But, you know, what it kind of reminded me of, to some degree, was the Night Stalker documentary with Richard Ramirez. Yeah. Because what they talk about with him quite a bit is his eyes. Yeah. Which is fucking creepy. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a common trait amongst evil humans in the real world, but, you know, I think that's what makes Halloween great to some degree, too, is that... Although there is an inhuman quality with Michael and that he seems to just not be killed. He seems to always catch up to people while fucking taking a nice little stroll, yeah. you know, and doesn't say anything. You can't really hear. He's almost like a cat, too, when he sneaks up on you. You don't hear him. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of inhuman qualities to him. But somebody like that, you're like, that could happen anywhere. Yeah. Literally could happen anywhere. And it, I mean, to a degree, it has for sure. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, Richard Ramirez, there you go. I mean, that's literally... The Night Stalker, dude. The Night Stalker, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But the eyes thing is what caught me right there. Yeah, like, the correlation between the two, oof, for sure. That's that's creepy, man. It is, it's insane. That's super creepy. But that sets the stage that, okay, Loomis knows this guy, knows him well, and, uh, yeah, it's gonna be hard to take this guy down. Yeah. You know, with a whole army of police. Yeah. But, fast forward, right, because we're, we're rambling at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Going all over. We're stuck on Loomis. We're stuck on... Hey, it's just... He's so fucking... Donald Pleasant's just, just so fucking good. Dude. He encapsulates that fucking role. Yeah, I mean, he... Yeah, there could there couldn't be no other Loomis. And every Loomis after him just... Well, I will say Malcolm McDowell did a great Loomis. because, And I, I'm, I'm a huge Malcolm McDowell fan from A Clockwork Orange. So, like... Absolutely. You know, that's... I thought he did a great Loomis. Yeah. For sure. I agree. But it, Donald Pleasant's set the tone. He set yeah. the bar high as fuck. Malcolm McDowell's like Kobe... And then you got LeBron. Donald Pleasance, not Michael Jordan, dude. Oh, MJ, you're going yeah. way up. Yeah, I'm going way. He's like MJ, dude. He's yeah. the MJ of Loomis. You can't, you can, you can be really, you can be a great Loomis, but you can never be Donald Pleasance, man. Yeah. In my mind, Fair. you just can't, no, you just I, can't I'm, pull I'm him out of that, you know. I'm but with it. you know, we get to the latter half of the movie. Laurie Stroud is babysitting Tommy. Annie's babysitting Lindsay. Which, first of all, 
Lindsay had the easiest acting gig of anyone in this horror movie. Yo, for real, dude. Catatonic state the whole time. Just zoned out watching the thing. Yeah, which we talked about too is cool. And I've always known this, but I just, I think I've just never put two and two together. Yeah. That, yes, Lindsay. John Carpenter. Well, the thing being played in the movie. Yep. While Lindsay's watching it. Yep. John Carpenter does the score. Yep. For does the, the score. Thing. Does the thing. Kurt Russell. 80. At least between 80 and 83, or 84 at the latest, that film came out. I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah so not, not really long after 78, of when Halloween was, you know, at least released anyway. But, you know, Annie calls over to Lori and she's like, what's his name? Is into her. Oh, uh... Ben. Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer. Was really psyched that you were into him for homecoming tomorrow. I bet you got a date, and Lori's like, ah, you know... I'm just the regular adult of this group. Yeah, I'm the mom. Yeah, I'm just trying to babysit, man, you know? I'm trying to make my 50 cents an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever minimum wage was in 78. I'm trying to make uh, two bucks, you know, per this hour. Night. Yeah, Yeah, literally the whole night, $2, yeah. and I could buy a whole meal. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, Annie calls over, lets her know, and then obviously Bob and Linda are coming over later. You know, to what Annie's telling Lori. And she's like, just come on over. And Lori's like, I gotta babysit Tommy. And he's fucking, you know, watching his movie in a spaceman outfit. Meanwhile, Lindsay could be dead. I don't know. You know, for most of her appearance in this film, you're like, I don't, you know, she's, she, her eyes are open. Yeah. But she ain't paying attention to much. Hell no. So, you know, we go through that spiel. Annie walks out to the back shed, which happens to be the laundry room, which I think for 1978, interior decorator wise. Kind of cool. Yeah, ahead of its time. Yeah, you know, you don't cool. see many laundry sheds. Yeah. Right? But, oh, and then she gets butter or whatever it is making popcorn on her shirt, so she has to undress, which in Joe Bob's world, that's the first breast you see. Yeah. Of the movie. Um, and and then Michael's lurking through the window. Yep. Again. He's there. He's of there, man. He's, there. he's stalking his prey, right? He's, he's, he's knocking everyone down associated with Jamie before. Before he... Goes in for the kill. Yeah, not Jamie. Well, Jamie Lee Curtis, but Laurie. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna fuck that up every time. But, you know, goes through that. Obviously, Annie gets locked into the, the laundry shed. You know, she goes over to, I believe... Who does she go to see? Does she go to drive over to see Laurie? Because she well, hops she, in the car. Yeah, she was getting ready to go over there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, get ready to go over there. And then, lo and behold, Little second Michael. kill. <laughs> Little Michael. Yeah. Stabs Judith in the first opening scene. That's the only kill you really see up until that point. Yeah. Comes up behind her with, I believe it's some sort of cord. Yeah, I think it like a, like a, like a, like a wire or something. Yeah. yeah. Strangles her out, which it's a very quiet kill other than the horn. I think yeah. is the one thing I noted. She does like some, she sells it, but a couple gasp here and there. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. then a couple blows on the horn, which the other thing I love about this movie, too, is that there's so much shit that goes down in the last 30 minutes, and I'm pretty sure there's not a neighbor to be found. All the neighbors are just checked the fuck out. Yeah, like, no one comes out and is like, what's all this screaming about? Yeah, like, in their fucking like, jammy jams. No. They're like, no, we fuck. live in paradise out here. Yeah, there apparently everybody's wrong. taking five sleeping pills. I mean, it is around... And a fifth of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> They're just out. It is around Halloween, so I guess people could be like, oh, the fucking pranksters, but like... Yeah, pr or they're taking their kids somewhere, or they're at a Halloween party, so people are busy and mingling. I don't know. You know, 
fucking we'll, in their costumes. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll give them a pass, but I'm not giving them that much of a pass. You know, yeah. there's got to be at least one neighbor fucking around. Fucking town of Haddonfield. Yeah, just fucking like asleep. Really not, they're not looking out for their their fellow people. No, they're not a good community. No, this not is not where you want to live. No, nah, don't don't go to Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, it's not where you want to be if you're in trouble. Anyway, Annie gets strangled out. She's done. Her head lays on the horn, which is part of my reasoning where it's like, no one fucking... And no one's getting this? No, right? Like, even if, like, a, a car alarm goes off, you know, like, around you in the neighborhood, and goes, yeah, like, meh, meh, fuck like, is that? Turn yeah. it off. At a certain point, everybody's like, what the fuck is... Like, you gotta look out the window. You yeah, know? like, but, fucking turn that shit off. Yeah, but apparently... What are you doing? Apparently nobody in Haddonfield is doing that, They're right? Like, no, we don't give a shit. <laughs> no, I don't give a fuck, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm conked out here. Uh, I'm out. Yeah. But, she dead. She gone. Oh, she gone. She gone. She gone. Um... And then, you know, to that point, right, I think the the next piece, if I'm not mistaken, after Annie's dead is, I think, Bob and Linda. Yeah, it goes over to Bob and Linda getting in the house. Yeah, which their their stint is short in this film. Very short-lived. Very short-lived. But, you know, Linda has this whole plan of how she's going to get Dick down. Yep. She's like, you're going to go in, Annie and I think Lori are going to be there. You're going to go up to the first bedroom on the left or the right. He's like, I don't want to take your clothes off. And he's got those big 70s, like, yellow lens bifocals on. Yep. You know? And he's like, then you're going to rip my clothes off. And, you know, they, they're the most excited bunch. Out of the whole of, movie. Of the teenagers, quite honestly. Yeah. You know, throughout that film. Yeah, they're definitely, uh, they're wanting to do the thing. They're wanting to do the thing. Big time. So, you know, they waltz themselves in there into, into Lindsay's home. Yeah. Which I think at some point Lindsay's back with Tommy and Lori because I'm pretty sure at one point Annie goes over there. She does, right? She's ba- well. Annie is babysitting Lindsay, right? Exactly. Yeah, but and I think then Annie she takes- walks. She Annie walks Lindsay over to Lori. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's just like amongst the Annie and Lindsay group here, so they're forgettable. They are. They kind of are. Like in the terms of like. They're not forgettable because, like, you get who they are. Yeah. But they're forgettable in the sense that, like, their parts are, like, non-sequential to, the, like, the plot because you know what Michael's directive is. Yeah, well, that, and that's well, exactly Well, actually, it. you don't know what his directive is, but you find out what his directive is. Sure, sure. Well, I think the beginning and the end of this movie are what really matter. Everything else in the middle seems like filler other than what Loomis has to say and kind of give directive to. Right. Right? But otherwise... You know, a lot of it is just, you know, like you said, inconsequential. Yep. And Annie and really Lindsay and Linda and Bob are kind of just, you know, they're like pawns in the game yeah. to some degree. It's yeah, kind of yeah. what you look at them as, right? Because, you know, Bob and Linda get it on, which I think is still probably one of the coolest scenes of the movie. That after they're done fucking, I think Bob's a two pump chump, to be honest with you. Yep. From the movie. You know, he gets done. He's like, I'm going to go make like a fucking scrambled egg and some OJ or something or whatever yeah. he's doing down there in the yeah, pantry. Getting a beer. Getting a beer. He's getting a beer. Yeah. Yeah. That's of right. Of course. Because they smoke a cig after they don't get done fucking. Of course he's getting a beer. Of course he's getting a beer. Could it be anything else? Right. He gets down there. He opens a pantry. You know, he's looking at the fridge. He grabs his beer, turns around, goes to the other door, opens it, and then boom. Bob is fucking fucked. Yo, Bob, first of all. Michael Myers and Undertaker have a lot of similarities. 
Yeah. Let's be real, because first of all, the inhuman strength piece, which you kind of see with Undertaker too, because he's a giant. Yeah, and he's just lifting motherfuckers yeah, up. Yeah, and he just, he literally, it looks like he's about to choke slam Bob, puts him up against the cupboard, you know, and yeah. fucking just yeets him there, chokes out Bob, gets the knife, whoppa! Just fucking impales him into the cupboard. Yeah, he's a poster now on the wall. Yep. That's what Bob is. Yeah. Because you just see his feet kind of go, uh Yep. So that's how you know he's dead. But he never, like, slides down the cupboard now. Yeah, we talked about that. If they were going to make this, like, gore porn, that he would have just, like, started sliding down. Oh, yeah. And, like, and the knife would have just, like, split him in two. Yeah, gravity would have held that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd for just sure. Bob in two. Two bobs. Or but, the handle would have broke. Something would have happened. Yeah, something definitely would have happened. But now, nah, apparently, inhuman strength of Michael just can fucking... He impaled that knife so far into that wood. Yep. And that Bob's body there. and the wood. Pretty sure just, Bob's still there. Bob Bob might still be there. <laughs> yeah, Bob. X amount of years later, yeah, Bob's there. Still. Yeah, the skeleton's still intact on that cupboard. Yeah. You know, so that happens. Michael's like, all right, it's up to the next pawn in this in this ruse of a game and getting the lorry. She's upstairs. Wind's upstairs, man. She smoked her cig. She got railed out. She's feeling good. You know, it's a Saturday or a Friday. I can't remember what Halloween date that falls on in oh, 78. Yeah. Either way, it's the weekend. It's the freaking weekend. It's, the it's freaking Halloween. Weekend. Yeah, she's living her best life. <laughs> Bob the ghost comes in. Yep. Michael Myers. Sheet over top of him. Bob's Bye, glasses. Five focus on, baby. He's ready to party. And what what is the line? Because you had it in your yeah. head. Bob, what, I can't get your ghost, Bob? Yo, can't get your ghost. What the fuck does that mean? No idea. Can't get your ghost. I can't get your ghost, Bob. Can't get your ghost, Bob. Let's think about this for a second. Can't get your ghost, Bob. Like, like she can't get your ghost. She almost said it like cat got your tongue. Yeah, like that was like the the seventy eight version of that, nineteen seventy eight version. Can't get your ghost. But that doesn't make any sense. It was to me. bad. It was a bad. It was bad. It was a bad line. Bad line. But you know, maybe if I look into it, it might have. It might be the reason that led to the death of 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 Linda. Yeah, honestly, Michael's like that was a fucking. That what was, are you so? This What's is, wrong with you? This bitch is dumb. Yeah. I gotta kill her. Yeah. You know, just on principle. That's Michael's, Michael's thought process yeah. there. Yeah. But then, like, again, no words from Bob the ghost. Linda kind of just brushes it off. And then just makes a collect call. Makes a collect call. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Just, we, <laughs> we know we're out there on the fucking spinny dial phones. Yeah, The man. rotaries. Yeah, come on. It's 78 now. But, uh, yeah, it's just like that part. It's like, all right, you know, if he's not saying anything, even if you think that is a significant other, you're still going to have a little bit of a question. You know, to some degree. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. But, um... Well, she yeah. gets strangled the fuck out with that with phone With a telephone cable. cord. Yeah, yeah, with that phone cord. Yeah, and I remember those phone cords. And that is why we have cordless phones now. That is, Yeah, that's actually why. Yeah, fun fact about that. <laughs> yeah, that's why they, they went wireless. They were like, we, fucking, we can't keep this shit in here. Yeah, this is a killer's it's a dream. lawsuit. Yeah, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen, you know? So, yeah, she gets strangled out. I'm pretty sure she's on the phone talking to Lori. She is, yeah. And yeah. then Lori just thinks that, like... She, like, called to uh, let Lori hear her and Bob have sex. Yep. Yeah. But which is not the case. Not it's the case at dying. all. Which, to some degree, gives you some insight into Linda's character. She's a little bit of a freak. She's calling people getting railed out. Yeah. And, like, Lori's just like, God, again? Again? Like, come on, guys. Like, like Jesus. I, I get it. You guys have sex. Whatever. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a virgin. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a virgin. And I'm probably, yeah. like, 30. Yeah. In that man. movie, easily. Well, I think yeah. pretty much all of them are. You know, 18-year-olds... Well, playing. thirty-three-year-olds playing eighteen-year-olds. Yeah. Right. Whoop, help from the wife, Kate. One of our invited cut. What is this? Um, 
Oh, okay. And this little line right here, this paragraph? All right, we got some fun facts here, you guys. About it. Yeah, I'm about it, too. Because we've been all over with this story. We so. have. The story so far? Oh, yeah, the story so far. Well, the story so far is we're fucking all over the place. So this is the paragraph. One of our invited colleagues came up with this definition for got your goal. And we all agreed that their contextualization of the phrase made great sense. Perhaps they mused, got your goal refers to the shared experience of some kind of special, ineffable moment that has arrested you in some quick, naive, even, and seductive manner. Interesting. Like, you... Uh, yeah. I don't know. Got your ghoul. I got your ghost ghoul, Bob. Yeah, yeah, just... You I got know. your ghoul and ghost. Yeah, I got your ghoul and ghost. You just, you know, busted inside me and now I got your seed. Oh. Um, I got your spawn. Yeah, yeah, got your ghoul. I got your baby! <laughs> Can't get your ghost, Bob. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's wild. Very weird. Very weird. But very well thought out, apparently. Yeah, you know, somebody thought part. about it. Somebody thought about it. We didn't, clearly. We were <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck is this about, yeah, dude? Yeah. But, you know, she gets she gets strangled out. I think Lori goes over to investigate after this, correct? Yeah, yeah, at this point she She's like, to alright, too much weird shit's happening. I gotta figure out what's going on. There's been a man in a coveralls and a William Shatner mask off in the distance for what seems like at least ten hours. Yeah, or in a few my days. World. Yeah. At least a few, yeah, in a few days, maybe, perhaps. Who knows? Because if you notice... Like, he almost seems ghost-like because, you know, to kind of rewind a bit in the beginning of the film when she goes into her room and she looks out the window, he's by the clothesline. Yeah. Michael Myers is. And she's looking at him. And then it's not like she looks away. It just pans back to her from Michael. It goes to Michael. Well, it goes from Jamie looking outside to Michael. Back to Jamie still looking, not moving her eyes. And then back outside and he's gone. Yeah. So is he a ghost or a memory? A bad memory? Or is he actually there, and he's just really good at disappearing? I think it's option two. Yeah, it's the latter. I think it's the latter, yeah, for sure. It's gotta be, right? I think he's just good at disappearing. Yeah, I guess so. That must... Well, it, in some cases, you're right. He doesn't get seen much at all. Like, man, like you know what I mean? Like, no. if you see him, you're fucking dead. Well, that's it. Yeah, I don't know what that's kind of the equivalent to in, like, anthology or mythology. Mythology, yeah. Medusa? Medu if you stare at her, you're dead. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But could be that. It could be that somewhat. Yeah, like a like a fucking ode to Medusa. Ode to Medusa. She is a creepy little myth mythological character. Indeed, she is. Yeah, but you know, to get back to it, yes, she goes over and visits. She's like, "There's too much weird shit happening. I gotta go check this out." And I believe she goes into Annie's, well, Lindsay's house. Technically, it's yeah. Lindsay's house that Annie and then Bob and Linda were were at, and then of course met their fate. Yeah. Um. Lori goes over to investigate, I believe. Right, I believe. Tries to figure shit out and then runs into Michael. Yeah, she does. That's when all the shit starts we have going the first loose. actual in-person encounter with Michael and yep. Lori Strode. At this point, he's pretty much been stalking and knocking out all of her friends around her. Yeah. To get to her. Yeah. Right? It almost like it's almost as if he baits her into it. Yeah, now degree. he's got his he's got his catch. Yep, he's got his catch, and that's where he runs into her because I believe she's looking around. She sees Bob dead, right? Mm -hmm. Bob kind of come flying out upside down. Linda is in the fucking I don't even know what it is. It almost closet. looks like a closet cupboard yeah. thing. But I think the first point where you realize, okay, this is a familial bloodline act, 
is where she comes into, I believe it's Linda's dead body. Oh. On the bed. Judith Myers. Judith, but the, yeah, the tombstone, the tombstone itself says, here lies Judith Myers, which clearly is, again, it could be, like, I think it's her sister. I, I'm pretty sure. Lori's sister? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because... Or cousin or something. She's Strode, and... But it's gotta be, it, there's some familial piece to it. The timeline would be off, so she'd have to be, like, an aunt or something. Yeah, probably. Cousin, maybe. Yeah, yeah cousin or something, but... That's when you realize, oh, there's like some weird fucking connection here. Yeah. Realize Judith Myers. And, you know, she backs out, all freaked the fuck out. And then Michael Myers, again, with the use of lighting, comes out with his knife and yeah, hits her right in the shoulder. Yeah. It gives her a little nick. A little nick. Yep. Let her know he's there. Yep. And then she bolts out. Yep. Bolts out the house. Arguably the creepiest, one of the creepiest scenes of the movie when she's banging on the door. Again, Tommy and Lindsay catatonic somewhere. Who yeah, knows what the fuck's real. going on? <laughs> I think she literally. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. She's <laughs> banging on the door. Tommy, Tommy. She literally has to pick up a flower pot, <laughs> <laughs> throws it up two stories, hits the window, and Tommy comes out, <laughs> comes to the window, turns the light on. And he's like, well, "What's going on? What's up out here?" Like, Lori, and she's like, "Get over, get through the fucking door, idiot!" Yeah, yeah, you fucking didn't hear me smashing this door in. Yeah, and he comes running down and opens the door, and that's when she shuts it, locks Sorry it. Sorry about that. And he's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And she's like, "Lock the doors." I think she even says, "I don't know." if She says, "Call the police." Or call your parents, or something to that degree. But that's kind of when you know shit gets heavy. Yeah. You know? And, uh, basically, at that point, and I should probably back up a second, too, when she's banging on the door and throwing the flower pot toward the windows when you see Michael Myers. Yeah, coming across the street. Walking briskly. Yeah. That's the thing I think that's creepy, and they use it a lot in the, uh, in the sequels, is that one of the things that always stands out with Michael Myers is he's always like one step behind somebody fucking sprinting and he's just walking. Yep. He like, he must be taking some large steps. Yeah, he's a big dude. He's got like fucking like, like a half a mile stride. Yeah. Apparently I was going to say every, for every 10 steps I take is he his one, one step. Yeah. yeah. It's like amazing. Like he just keeps up. You, me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be watching you. Yeah. I wonder if that's based on Halloween. Yeah. Sting was just like, I got this song. <laughs> Remember Michael Myers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it's based off of. Yeah. But that could have been the soundtrack, you know? Because it fits well. Anyway, yeah, he creeps up. He gets oh so close, but not close enough. Shuts the door in time, locks it up, tells Tommy and, and Lindsay appears again. She's fucking, she's narcoleptic. What? She, fucking, <laughs> she was in a state of narcolepsy. She's like, huh, what's up? And they go upstairs, tell him to hide out in their room. But Michael makes his way in because they get up to the steps. Lori's trying to tell him what to do. Go to your room, call the police or what have you. And then Michael, cat-like, doesn't hear a peep. Boom. He's behind her because the kids hello. react. He's like, oh, hello. Yeah. And then the kids react to him and they scream, which is definitely part of the creepiness with him. It's like you just, he's always around the corner and he's always right there, but there's no giveaway. He's the boogeyman. He is the boogeyman. It's not like Apex. Almost, where, like, you know somebody's around because you can hear it. Yeah. Even Jason. Right? There's a giveaway. Yeah. With him. Either <laughs> if you're hearing the... Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? But with Michael, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing. No, he just kind of lurks, right? He's a lurker. And then he's there. Boom. Done. So, you know, they basically play this game of, like, cat and mouse. They Or hide and seek, even. 
where they kind of like bolt around. I think at one point, um, if I'm not mistaken, Lori hides out in the closet up in one of the bedrooms. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of those like old rickety like sliding closets that yep. has like the wooden blinds. Now, that movie fucked me up. So to kind of talk about my connection with Halloween, I think we talked about it on the very first episode we ever did. But the one of the reasons I got into Halloween is I remember I don't know if we were at like a fucking Kmart, a Circuit City, a, a Walmart, you know, given my age at the time, I might have not even been I might have been 10 years old. Might have been. So we're talking se- fuck 17 years ago, Jesus Christ, I'm old. So what would that put us at? 04? Roughly? Yeah, something like that. 04. So I remember my parents specifically my mom and dad were talking about Halloween for some reason. And I was like, I've never seen that. My dad was like, what? You've, you've never seen Halloween? And I'm like, I'm 10. Yeah. That's your job to show me that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this isn't like, I didn't just I don't stumble have upon access this. To things. No, no. But we ended up buying the film. I don't remember if at the time it was on VHS or it might at that point been DVD in 04. Yeah. But I remember that was the first time I watched it, 10 years old. And I remember that scene specifically because it haunted me. Anytime we ever played like a game of hide and seek or I was going to creep somebody out, if I ever hid in the closet, because that was always, that was usually the move during hide and seek, right? Yeah. Went in a closet. It's a good move. It's dark. Yeah. Dimly lit. There's a lot of stuff in there you can hide behind. But that scene fucked me up for the rest of my life being in the closet. Even mm. though I knew he wasn't going to be there, in my young, fragile mind, I was like, yo, my, I, like, I know we're playing hide and seek right now, but like Michael Myers might be fucking... Might if he's here. not in here, he's going to boot this door down real quick. Yeah. Because that, that scene is done so well on a couple different levels. You better have a coat hanger at the ready. And a wire <laughs> one at that. Dude, a, yeah, it's got to be wire. If it's if plastic, you're fucked. Yeah. There's just no way. But I think that scene's done really well because of how it's shot, number one. Because, it, again, the, the, the POV style of it is that you get Lori's perspective. Yeah. Number one, they, they face her kind of crowded in the back corner of the closet. Almost as if Michael's perspective. Almost of Michael's perspective, right? Or almost like you're in there with her. Yeah. Hiding from Michael. Yeah, good call. You know? But then it switches and pans back to her viewpoint where she's looking up to the corner of the closet. So all you can see is the little cracks of light in the blinds. So you're almost you're almost with her, then you're her. So you're panning back and forth from these point of views before Michael fucking rips the door down and she I gotta say, if you've ever tried to like straighten out a wire hanger a metal that's not easy yeah that's a lot of hand strength yeah Lori does it in like three seconds yeah she's, she's like, like, she like origami is the thing yeah but like deconstructive she's yeah. like <laughs> and stabs him right, right in the, the eye. eye and the other thing I never noticed about this film too is she does that he drops his knife stabs him I guess we think he's in the sternum the yeah. solar the solar plexus if <laughs> you will uh, and then he drops Right, and you know she kind of saunters out of the room. She does this twice too, by the way. Leaves him behind. Leaves him, but like nonchalantly, like yeah, he's dead. I checked. We're good. But that's why you always. I think that's one of the scenes too. And if you if you pan up twenty years to scream, you gotta always do like a double tap. I yeah. think even Zombieland. Yeah, ref- alludes yeah, they reference to it. that. Yeah, yeah, they reference it. Like you can't just assume the killer's dead. Right. And like Halloween, I think is probably the primo example of, you know, check your bodies. Yeah. Check your bodies. 
because if you remember the the couch scene yeah when he stabs her from overhead yeah because you're to your point you said something about michael too he misses twice misses twice where everybody else that he kills he he's like a sniper yeah he's like a sniper and it's like was this because he was nervous because this was family and like he is it is it just for chance that they like hype this up because it's she's the main actress or is it is there like a motive behind this that like michael's getting like anxious to kill family i mean granted we're gonna point back to this the fact that we don't know in this film you know it doesn't allude to them being related in this film at all but still like you know learning later on if that was a plot point of john carpenter for them to be related you know was this michael being like hesitant to do the act so he like misses because he's nervous is that that could be a possibility you know yeah no it's true it's true and it also could just be a one of those things I was like, well, we got to keep this thing moving. Right, that right? too. Because I think it's, you know, if he shut it off right then and there, you know, I mean, it kills off the whole storyline, number one. Yep. He doesn't miss the first time, though, if you think about it. He hits the shoulder. He, he gets nicks, a little bit, yeah. He gets a little, he gets close, but not close enough. Yeah, it's not the money shot. No, and then I think he gets cold feet because then he, he keeps missing after. Yeah. He just can't seem to figure it out. However, however, you know, he misses the first time. She, I think... What does she do on the couch that drops him? She drops him somehow because he comes oh, over the top. She's got like a like a fucking I don't know. It's like some long sharp object, like a screwdriver or something. Yeah, and like hits him and he's down and yeah, she's like, like right oh, in the neck. thank God. But he's back up again, so yeah. she leaves him once. She she fucked up once. That's you always learn from your mistakes. Yep. Lori did not. So after she, she stabs him with the knife, fucking comes out to the the doorway and you still see Michael in the background which yeah. is most of where he's at which I think is awesome and tasteful that they do he's not dead yeah no he ain't dead once again and then sits up like we know to be the undertaker yeah again i, I think some of that had to be pulled from there there's just no way yeah he was dead undertaker was giving an ode to michael yep ode to michael ode to michael um sits right up she gets up, turns around, and then he's full two hands on. Yep. Two hands on the throat, choking her out. Right? And we think, oh shit, here we go. It's done. Now he's now he's got her. Yeah. Got her in got her in got her in his grasps. Yeah. Right? Think it's over. Loomis though. To the rescue. Johnny on the spot. Yeah. Let's be real. Cause he knows he I mean, he follows his path the whole time for the most part. He's always a couple steps behind. Yeah. But as you see in that movie, as you see in the sequels, he's he figures it out. He figures it out. Yeah, he's on this trail because he knows him, right? And you get to know more about that in the sequels too. But in this movie, you know, he's he's always a couple steps behind. He's never he's never there at the perfect time until the end. Yeah, until and that's the end. The right time to be there. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And then he shoots him as he's strangling Lori. Bang bang. Yep. What I think is even creepier, and I don't think a lot of people talk about, is after he shoots him, he kind of stumbles back into the room. And, and then as Loomis kind of circles into the bedroom, he's just standing there. Yeah, yeah. He gets, like, fucking shot, and then he's just fucking, like... Yeah, he's like, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, Michael's like, uh... Like, that didn't feel too good. Yeah, he's like, that kind of hurt, actually. And then Loomis doubles him up. Yep, double thing, tap. He follows up, which Laurie never does. Yep. Because he knows. He's the smart guy. He follows up, hits him over the balcony, down onto the ground where we think he's dead. Yep. And then... Arguably one of the creepiest endings of 
a, almost a to be continued, if you will. Couple quick lines. Lori crying says, "Was that the boogeyman?" Loomis, always with the dramatic pause too, kind of looks down, looks up, looks down again. He goes, "I believe that was." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> you're just like, "God damn, dude!" Yep. And especially at ten years old, I'm like. I fucking I, I went through three lives during that movie yeah, at ten years real. old, you know. And then he walks right up to the balcony, just like he always does. He's gone. And then bump, 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 credits. And but not even end credits because what I think they do that's very cool. And I don't know many other movies that do that or have done this. You know, towards an ending of a movie, they basically backtrack. Oh, of where true. All the kill scenes have happened, or where at least most of the action was taking place. Of like. It almost felt like yeah, a like serial vacancy of each room. The vacancy of each, yeah, the vacancy of each room. But it almost felt like when you watch serial killer documentaries and you, um, they'll show you old like photos or video of where an act happened. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. So you're like, fuck, like you can feel that weight of what occurred in this room. It's just a relapse of everything that Lori's just gone through. Yeah, it's like literally a fucking rewind. Yeah. Of everything she just went through and everything everybody else had went through at that point. Yeah. And that's when it ends. And that's what's fucking creepy about that. Big facts. And that was our fucking what felt like a drug-induced, confused timeline loop and lapse of Halloween number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1978, baby. Uh, like I said, you know, I don't have all the details all the time, even though we just watched it, but... You know, there was a lot of conversing. There was a lot of conversing. There was a lot of conversing. However, but I thought we did a pretty good job. We did. I thought we did. We did. We know the movie. Yeah, get on our backs, guys. Yeah, grow up. All right. So here I have my copy of Halloween. Uh, it is a blockbuster presents release. Um, I think that's cool. It's not the media release. I'd like to have the re- the the media release, but uh, I think it's cool because it's like um, you know uh. The familiarness of Blockbuster for our childhood, you know, sure. going to rent movies. So it's kind of cool, like, having a piece of history that is Halloween, but also, a, you know, something in my collection that has Blockbuster's logo on it. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So here I'm going to read the back of the box, um, and it states, Halloween opened in fall 1978 to scare the wits out of moviegoers and rave reviews out of all film critics who quickly declared it a new horror classic. Not t- not since 1960's Psycho, which starred Curtis's mother, uh, Janet Lee, 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 uh, Lee, Lee, Lee. Yeah, had a fright film made such an impact. The surprise hit of 1978 Chicago Mil- Film Festival and praised by Gene Siskel and Robert e- Ebert, uh, Halloween went on to become the highest grossing independent feature film ever, despite a budget of only 320000 So, uh, that doesn't really give you, like, any fucking information because of this copy. <laughs> so, pretty much, <laughs> uh, if you want, like, an overview of the movie, obviously this is the end, you probably would want to do this up front, but yeah, I would say that a deranged psychopath haunts and stalks the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, on Halloween of 1978. I feel like that's a, just a general overview, you know, if you want to just yeah. a little, you know, a little, 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 little teeth, a little appetizer. Uh, all right, cool. So let's talk about what the fuck we're doing next week. So this one I've been stoked to announce. 
Um, we've been sitting on it for a little bit now. Yeah, we have. And it's been hard to keep our mouths shut because we're incredibly excited to announce that next week, well, this week, we'll be watching the 2020 so the newest film oh yeah that we will be reviewing new for us too new for us because neither of us have seen it ever yeah and also we don't and we haven't rated any or done any and reviewed any new movies yeah exactly so it's going to be super exciting to talk about the 2020 brides of satan oh yeah Directed by Joe Bizarro with the stars of Mindy Robinson, Anastasia Elfman, Ari Agbebion, and Joanna Angel. Amen. So, and that's just a few that's in the movie. Yep. Uh, here's IMDb's little, uh, little snippet. When a gang of satanic strippers kidnap an innocent young couple, a horrifying scenario ensues. Let's fucking go. Brides of Satan is an action exploitation horror film. I love it. So here's the tasty piece that we are also going to have for next week's episode. A nice little slice of, nice little slice of pie. So not only do we get to watch the movie. Yeah, that's not it. And enjoy it that way. Right. But on next week's episode, we will have the director, Joe Bizarro. Yeah, man. On the show. Awesome fucking awesome very cool right and we're only seven episodes in only seven episodes yeah so show me a better s- podcast i'll wait <laughs> psych nah shout we're out okay to, shout yeah. out to our homies yeah yeah <laughs> shout out shout out sorry sorry we're, we're mediocre at best. don't take that seriously please <laughs> but yeah no we are definitely stoked to have joe on and talk about the movie with the man himself the man behind the idea we're excited to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's got a hell of a cast. I mean, oh yeah, to say the least. 100%. So 100%. Definitely exciting. And I'm ready uh, for the shock value. Yeah, so we're definitely stoked. So here's the trailer. We're going to let you all enjoy that. So check it out. Have fun. Listen, scumbag. I don't know who you are, and I don't care what the shithole you crawled out. You were there that night. What night? In the warehouse, you know, where they brutally murdered my fiance. We are gonna have the time of our life tonight, baby. This is a stick up. You give us what we want, and nobody buys the farm. I think I see something you like. Actually, we were, we're just leaving. I offer you the death of innocence. In a world of depravity, one woman must travel through hell to avenge the man that she loves. Brides of Satan, starring Mindy Robinson, Malice McMahon, and Joanna Angel. Revenge is a dish best served bloody. I'm coming for you, Sydney's. Brides of Satan, directed by Joe Bizarro. Y'all need some Jesus in your life. Coming soon.
All right, and that was the trailer for Brides of Satan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, next week, watching it. So stoked. And we're going to have the director, Joe Bizarro, on here. Hell hype. Even more stoked for that. So, that being said, let's wrap this bad boy up. Yes. Tyler, on your rating of 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween what do you give this out of five gold medals? <laughs> five gold medals, man. Shit. Well, as you guys know, I didn't shut the fuck up this whole podcast about this movie. I think one thing, too, I get so excited and enamored with this movie and the details that I'm all over the place, which clearly, if you guys listened all the way through, you'll understand that pretty quickly. He was excited. I was so excited, like a kid in a candy store. But, obviously, with the rants and ramblings how I felt about this movie. Again, favorite horror franchise. It's not my favorite Halloween, though. I will say that much. If you guys listen to this podcast and listen to all, at this point, what will be six episodes, it's not my favorite in the franchise. It's definitely one of them. It's not my favorite. However, it doesn't fucking matter. Five of five, baby. Five of five gold 100%. medals. 100%. Five of five gold medals. Caleb, I'm curious, man, because I know we've talked about it. It's not... It is, I don't think it is your favorite of the franchises, correct? It's not. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what you think. All right. So, again, not my favorite of the franchise uh, and not my favorite franchise either. Sure. Whereas it is yours. Yes. But that being said... This really opened the doors for main screen big time slashers. Sure. This paved the way for the 80s, in my opinion. Yeah. And there's a lot of 80s movies that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for Halloween. Sure. And it started the slasher craze of the 80s because, you know, if you think about it, there's just like right after this came out, then you had just like the fucking unbelievable amount of movies that came out of the 80s and arguably too to your point probably the 80s i think we can look back on it for a lot of it's probably it's the golden era it's my favorite era of horror of horror a hundred percent i think there was just more invested into it mainstream nationwide yeah and then frankly then you had your your horror spinoffs with like comedy elements sure there was just a whole lot going on but anyway that being said they paved that way springboard for sure yeah um, for me, it's a five of five gold medals. I just hit myself in the head. I was so excited. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was, dude. It's a five of five for me. I mean, it's, I give it the five of five because it's shot beautifully. It yep. was shot on a budget of 350,000, which that's a lot of money. I mean, especially in 78 time. Like, sure. so like they're saying low budget, high reward in terms of like what it came out of in the box office. But yeah, you know, they're kind of alluding to it being a uh, a low budget film to a degree. Sure. So I think that it was just beautifully shot. The acting was well. The suspense was great. Yep. Uh, the kill scenes are very well done. And yeah, I just think that, like I said, I we I wouldn't have some of my favorite films if it wasn't for this movie. hundred percent. And you know what's weird too? And and watching it back, I don't think I noticed it. And I, I keep harping on Donald Pleasance as Loomis. I honestly, I don't even think that's his strongest. I think in the other sequels, I think he actually has stronger performances, quite frankly, because I don't think they don't give him center stage like they do in the later films, you know, 
Um, so that was one thing that did jump out to me that I forgot to mention, but I did want to plug in there that I think, quite honestly, two, four, and five, I mean, I think he carries those films more so than even in the first. Yeah. Quite frankly, because I think they give him more of a, yeah, more center stage, honestly, yeah. than they do no, in I the agree. first one. Yeah. So that being said, what's your what's your favorite of the franchise? My favorite of the franchise is four return return of which I don't know. Which is the first one with Jamie, right? Which is the first one with Jamie and first one with um the little girl, and I always forget her name because Jamie is, uh, Jamie's the little girl. Jamie is the little girl, isn't she? You're right, Jamie. Then who, who the hell is like the care like the caretaker? That's her sister. Oh, what the hell's her name? Yeah, Fuck. it's Jamie the kid, and then. Yeah. What's that's, yeah, well, so that's also my favorite of the franchise. Yeah. I feel like the comments off this com- podcast are going to be like, Tyler, Halloween's my favorite. <laughs> Halloween 4 is my favorite. Jamie. Who's Jamie? Who's that, <laughs> who's that person? Yeah, who's no, that? That's okay. Uh, yeah. And then I'm going to also probably offend some people here with this one, but I enjoyed the Rob Zombies uh, rendition of oh, I love them. Halloween's. I love them. Of the Halloween's. The 100%. One I love his take on them, too. And I love the new one. Yes. Yes, so, I do, too. Yeah, uh, definitely some exciting things coming soon. Uh, like I said, like we said, we're we have Joe Bizarro on next week's episode, uh, watching yeah. Brides of Satan. That's going to be insane, and uh, we look forward to the rest of what we have on our palette for May. What? Pretty much the rest of this year, man. I mean, yeah. we're we're busier than ever. Monthly Twitch streams, monthly tape giveaways, probably more than that. Yeah. Quite honestly, we're just getting started. We're really. We're three episodes in from a six-month hiatus. There's much more to come, much more insight or utter ramblings of movies that we're watching. But quite frankly, I mean, Rides of Satan is just, you know, that's the springboard. But there's a lot coming, and we're super stoked for the next episode. I personally am, you know, this is kind of our, you know, deep dive to actually someone who's been on that end. Yeah, we're seeing it through the lens. Through the lens. That's it, baby. All right, well, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. All of that shit means a ton to us. We appreciate the support and love. If you already don't, follow us on Instagram at Massacre. Yep. And for that, I will also say that if you want some energy in your life, you use the code MENDED, M-E-N, D-E-D at checkout for 15% off your raise energy order. And that does it for us this week. I'm Caleb. I'm Tyler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another tastefully disgusting episode with Joe Bizarro of Brides of Satan. Oh yeah. Catch you later. Deuces everybody. Deuces everybody.